Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. San Francisco gets a lot of hate, but you don't get to hate it unless you love it. And one person I know who loves San Francisco is my colleague Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, who proudly reps the Mission District. It was just such a place where there were characters everywhere. It was definitely a feeling of like, Everyone could do what they want or just be themselves. Carlos has seen the neighborhood through a lot of changes over the years. Stores closing, childhood friends priced out, and beloved murals getting painted over. This Valentine's Day, Carlos shares with us a story of one mural he loved dearly and what it meant to lose it. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. I'm Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, and I'm the community engagement reporter with KQED. So my family first arrived to the Bay Area when... I was seven. We moved to Oakland. Back then, it was myself, my mom, and at the time, my stepdad. During that time, my little brother was born. We're eight years apart. A few months later, when we moved to Hayward, and in Hayward, things took a turn for the worst. 
My stepdad, he did things that made my mom and myself unsafe. Emotionally and physically hurting us. And it got to a point where my mom decided to leave and come to San Francisco. Because here there are several really, really amazing, incredibly helpful and generous shelters for moms and their kids. The reason we moved to San Francisco wasn't a very happy one. It was a very painful one, but it was also the start of a really, really amazing relationship with a place that welcomed us with a lot of people who worked really hard to make sure that we were safe and that we had what we needed. We first moved to Hayes Valley, and that's where we were for over a year in this shelter. And when I was 10, we made it to the mission where I still call home. At that time, I was starting middle school. My middle school was in the Fillmore in the Western Edition. It was a KIPP school, which for folks unfamiliar, that's a charter school system. A very, very like disciplined charter school system. We had to be in school from 7.30 to 5. But as soon as it was 5, the way that we would like run out like rats out of the school building to just hang out, to like run around. For the kids who lived in the mission, you know, we'd get on the 22 and then eventually, you know, the 14, the 49. There are these huge buses, these long, super long buses, and they're like kind of like two buses like connected. And the back, the windows were a thing where all you had to do was push them and they would open up and there were these huge windows. And we would always be partying. None of us had like real speakers, but we all had like radios. We like blasting like radio music and then like doing other stuff that you weren't supposed to do on a bus. And then as soon as like, you know, the driver would get mad at us, we'd all like jump out <laughs> from those windows. Seeing friends, you know, like hold onto the back of the bus because they were on their skateboards and they would just like grab on the back of the bus and this bus would just, you know, like ferry them through the mission. There were definitely things that maybe. <laughs> things my friends and I were doing pretty early on that we shouldn't have been doing, but it's always been a very active, super colorful, super noisy, super loud part of the city, which I love. I was born and raised in Mexico City, also a very loud and very colorful and just very chaotic city. I knew I wanted to be back where there was just kids playing in the street, buses moving all the time, cars, music, and Mission Street has always been that. I was 10 years old when I first saw Alto al Fuego, or Ceasefire, by Juana Alicia on the corner of Mission Street and 21st Street. It immediately what stood out to me was that it was the face of like a kid. And this kid, he was standing on this beautiful, beautiful field. And there's mountains, and it looks so humid and green and just lush. But in front of him, there's many, many machine guns pointing at him. But what's separating him from the machine guns are two hands, huge hands, and you can't see whose hands they are. They just appear in front of the kid. 
the kid is looking at you and it's very much like a Mona Lisa effect where no matter where you are on the intersection, it felt like he was looking at you. You know, they weren't angry, they weren't happy, they weren't sad, but they were just eyes full of a very strong emotion. That immediately struck me, you know, the element like, why are guns pointing at this kid? Who is he? And who are those hands? You know, the mural was showing a moment where like a kid was in danger, but this force, these hands came and defended him. I've always been very protective of my mom. We were very close. At that time, my brother was only one. When we left the situation with my stepdad, I made a promise that I would always protect him. Seeing a visual representation of hands coming to protect someone vulnerable, it showed me that it is possible and that I'm also in a place that believes in it, that strongly believes in it. You know, again, this wasn't in a random alley. It was in the heart of this neighborhood. Tens of thousands of people must have walked past it every single day. Juan Alicia painted Ceasefire in 1988. There was a lot of armed conflicts throughout the region of Central America. And in Honduras, there was a very active American intervention. And... The mural was actually set in the fields of Honduras. Many of the folks left and came to San Francisco. You've had families coming from Central America for 40, 50 years. Many other parts of the U.S. are seeing folks come from Central America, and it's like the first wave. But San Francisco is a place where you see, you know, two, three, four generations of Central American families here. And Juan Alicia in 1988 decides to paint a mural calling for a ceasefire and a protection of civilians in Honduras. And that's what we see. We see a young boy who represents the vulnerable civilian population of Honduras being protected, being shielded away from a lot of the violence, a lot of the guns, a lot of the armaments that were being brought in thanks to American imperialism, American foreign policy objectives. You know, as I became, I feel like, more and more San Franciscan, I learned that that this history of folks coming from Central America to create a sanctuary, a safe space for for their families here in the city, it really connected with what the reason that my family had come to San Francisco. I first found out that the mural was the face through my mom. My mom comes in, I'm in high school, and she says, you can't believe what happened to Juan Alicia's mural. And the next day, I go check it out. And sure enough, someone had scribbled, I think, something like toy across it. A couple days later, more tagging happens on it. And there was no explanation. It wasn't necessarily something like frustrating, but really just like a why. Why someone would do this to 
something so beautiful and important. As I understand, Juan Alicia raised funds to try to rehabilitate the mural, but at the end of the day, it didn't happen. And then years later, the property owners commissioned another mural on top of it, and it's the painting of a horse. The horse isn't like doing anything or jumping over a fence or anything. It's just the horse. And it's like standing on a beach or an empty field. And that's about it. I really do think that it doesn't have the same context and the same message. And I've definitely been in many conversations with people that they're like, why is there a horse there? <laughs> but, it, but years later, the horse is still there. So I guess it's part of us now, too. One of the, my favorite things to do when I go running throughout the mission is because I have a list of favorite murals I like to see. And there are some murals that no longer exist. But I think that that is the one that I hurts the most. Years later, I actually got to see a version of the mural one more time. And this was at an exhibition organized by the San Francisco Arts Commission. They included one of the original sketches that Juan Alicia had made of the mural. And it wasn't huge. It was like maybe three feet by four feet. And there wasn't any color. But, you know, the boy, he looked at you with the same intensity. The landscape was still as beautiful as it was when I first looked at it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was seeing it after such a long time. I never thought I was going to see that, like a version of that mural again. So much had happened since I had last seen it. I went to college. I graduated. I became a journalist. I learned so many things about myself. And seeing it again, it, it was like coming back into contact with that younger version of me. And I realized, whoa, it doesn't necessarily have the same grounding effect as it did before. But I think that's okay. You know, so much has changed for the better. Uh, my family, you know, we, we obviously become a lot more stable and we, we, we've been able to grow. You know, my mom has been able to continue her career. My brother's about to go to college. I, you know, I've been able to find a career I love. When we first came into the city, you know, we had so little and just so many just worries and anxieties. And then seeing it again and, and on the other side, I really appreciate that opportunity. When I think about this mural now, one of the things that stands out is how San Francisco, this little place, specifically the mission, this little neighborhood, its place in the history of so many movements, of so much organizing is just really, really cool. It just, it shows you that this is in like the DNA of the community, of the neighborhood, of the Bay. I think it's really cool when art, when public art can teach it again, because I came into SF, I had no idea about any of this history, that I was like standing on sacred ground pretty much. SF and the Bay, there's always going to be tough spots and periods of transformation. But we have to have love for this version of San Francisco. 
I feel like San Francisco had faith in me and my family when we first came in, right? And I'm not someone who, you know, drops the ball or leaves the court when things are getting a little a little tougher. Things are not going to get better if the people that love it stop loving it. That was Carlos Cabrera Lomeli, a community engagement reporter for KQED. This 40-minute conversation with Carlos was pitched, cut down, and edited by producer Maria Esquinka, with additional production and editing support from senior editor Alan Montecilio and me, who scored this episode. Our intern is Ellie Prickett-Morgan. Music courtesy of First Call Music, Audio Network, and Blue Dot Sessions. And I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks for listening. And from all of us here at the Bay, happy Valentine's Day. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 